Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy. Uh, my name is Sam Zimmerman. I am the curator of Shudder. We have the honor of presenting the Midnight Section at Sundance 2018. And we have the honor of hanging out here today with a bunch of filmmakers who are involved in the Midnight films, really special films, a spectrum of what Midnight and genre means. So I gathered them today to talk to about what that is exactly. What's genre? What's horror? What's thriller? All this cool stuff. And you know, maybe about some of our favorite movies, what we're excited to see. Uh, and let's get started. Uh, first, let me introduce everybody. This is Mr. Daniel Noah. He is the co-founder, producer at SpectraVision. Produced Mandy. This gentleman sitting down is Van. Van Tuffler, the CEO of Gunpowder and Sky. This is Coralie Farge, our director of Revenge. Next to Coralie is Aaron stewart on. He co-wrote Mandy. And finally is Mr. Nick Pesh. He premiered here in Next with Eyes of My Mother and is back in Midnight with Piercing. Uh, so I want to start this off in a, in a fairly general sense, if that's OK. I, I, what I want to know is what your first exposure to the idea of genre, whether it's horror, thriller, sci-fi, fantasy, as a mode of storytelling was, like what it was that touched you about it and revealed something that you can do with it mm. as a creator. As a creator? Yes. Yeesh. Well, I guess, hmm, uh, I would say for me, uh, it, it was when I was five years old. Uh, the it was first time. Us, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had, uh, was sort of living through a very tumultuous period in my life, like family wise, and was feeling like there was kind of no ground beneath my feet. And one morning I woke up uh, excitedly to watch Saturday morning cartoons. Um, and didn't realize it was 4 a.m. And so I, uh, I ran into the living room and I turned on, I think it was CBS in Chicago, and it was as though it were destined. It was the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone, it was, which is called Where Is Everybody? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had never encountered anything like this in my life. And, um, and I still very much remember sitting in the room kind of pre-dawn with that like sort of soft light coming in from the window it's still the transition between day and night, which they call twilight. And, um, uh, and just having this feeling wash over me of, oh my god, someone else understands how I feel. <laughs> um, and that was it. There was no turning back for me. I was obsessed with genre and horror and, um, and making it. And, uh, and I started writing stories at that time. And um, uh, I, yes, that, that was mine. Cool. Bam. Uh, 
Well, this probably makes no sense, but The Wizard of Oz was my favorite movie. Um, and then um, uh, that led to me doing Jackass, the series and the movies, which was probably the first genre thing. Um, but um, I think it was my brother bringing home the first Black Sabbath record. Um, mm. I don't know if you're yeah, pretty dude. scary. It's, it's uh, I'll blacken your Christmas and piss on your door. You'll cry out for mercy and still there'll be more. And uh, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> here we are with a couple of horror movies uh, at the festival. What? Uh, summer of 84 and a bunch of others. Coralie? Um, yeah, for me, genre films were everything that brought me out of everyday life. And I was kind of bored in everyday, li everyday life. And what I loved really was going some places else. So that's what I found in genre films in a wide uh, definition from Rambo to Robocop to The Fly to Starship Troopers to all those films that really created like thrilling universes yeah. I could have fun into. Yeah, we're, I mean, I think we're seeing what shaped like how visceral your work can be. Yeah. Mr. Aaron? I have to give a thanks to my dad because he's kind of weird, but he took me to see Alien when I was four years old. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've never murdered anybody yet. <laughs> Uh, but when you ask as a creator, it was actually seeing Aliens at 11, because genres in my life, I was very nerdy. But I had these, like, like my mom had a very complicated life, and her role in society was, like, always as an outsider. And there was something about that movie that went past, like, a horror action film and had something psychological like that that I connected with. And then I thought genre is a vessel for all sorts of things. Totally. And you kind of can't say in polite company. Hmm. Yeah. Mr. Nick? I think, you know, uh, I too was someone who watched The Twilight Zone super young, and I think that uh, the, my attraction to genre came so much from the fact that there are so many kind of facets of it. There's so many like little nooks and crannies, and I could go down like one rabbit hole, finish it, and then go down yet another one that was just as sort of odd. And, and the fact that all these weird worlds exist, and it was a place to kind of play with the bizarre, like the movie that I think back to is that was the first movie that scared me is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> and like you look between the Oompa Loompas and the tunnel scene and just like the artifice of it all they uh, that movie managed to capture what like David Lynch and John Waters would later capture more intentionally of this like bizarre on the surface looks glossy and fun and pretty but there's something so seedy underneath it and I can't put my finger on it and um, whether it's a kids movie or a horror movie I think that there's this awesome underlying abstract uncomfortableness that we get to play with. Totally and, and what I love about like I think what everyone's saying is so much of this happened to us when we were kids when we were in adolescence and so much of it is about a feeling it's an emotion it's a transcendence and I think that helps expand the definition of what can be considered genre because it's not a stringent line it's not this is horror this is not and Daniel you and I were speaking a little bit about how one of the scariest scenes in the last couple of years to us is when the turkey falls in Cretia. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen Cretia. It's like a family drama, but it's fucking horrifying. <laughs> there is a scene where a turkey falls off a counter, and you know the explosion that's going to come within the family, and I felt the same way. Yeah. So what now does genre mean to you, and what can it encompass? This is for everyone. 
Well, I, I think, you know, as we were chatting about, I, for, for SpectreVision, certainly, you know, we specialize in genre. I think one of the things that interests us are the films that are uh, kind of don't really fit into any particular subgenre in any specific way. Yeah. Um, you know, we are identified with horror. We've never made a scary movie. Um, we've made movies that deal in supernatural themes. Does horror mean scary? No, I don't believe it. Yeah. Personally, don't believe it does. And actually, I, I love being scared in films, but I think for me, what attracts me to tales of the supernatural has uh, very little to do with fear and more to do with elation and <laughs> um, uh, the ability to process really difficult life experiences in a safe place, grieving, uh, you know, um, fear of failure. You know, you can you can confront these uh, difficult emotions in in fiction. But you know, to to like we were talking about um, sort of. Two, two movies that I think exemplify how genre can be used to do other things as a comparison. One is Cretia, which is a family drama that has the most unsettling scene I've seen in ages. And the other is a ghost story, which is probably my favorite film of last year, maybe of many years. I took a uh, cry nap after a ghost story. Yeah. Like, legit cried so hard I had yeah. to take a nap. But that movie's never scary. Yeah. Um, it's deeply moving romantic drama and, and, and a, a family drama, in fact, delivers everything you would expect from Cretia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and vice versa, um, and I love that about genre that you, it's sometimes you know, especially now when we're, you know, I love that saying. There's two ways to make art: you do an old thing in a new way, or a new thing in an old way. And and you know, we're kind of at a point of Warholian period where there's nothing new. You can only spin things that have been done before. Yeah, and that's a fun place to be. I mean, so often we're telling. Uh, a same story, a story of, of something from within, something from yeah. without, but putting a new perspective on it. Van, you have a, a ton of different genre of compatriots, Guy. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach and what it means to you? Well, I mean, just talking about horror, I mean, I grew up with Night of the Living Dead, and that was scary as shit, and it felt pretty real to me, right? Yeah. And, and if you think about how horrific reality can be for millennials, you know, terrorism, recession, the current political environment, um, I feel like the horror that we're doing is, is more escapism. We just bought uh, a book called Eat Brains Love, and um, <laughs> the sequel, I kid you not, this, it's James Fry's company, the sequel is called Undead with Benefits. And um, there's a lot of fucking in it, um, but killing too. Um, and I think that um, young people want a more heightened sense of uh, horror. And uh, it feels like you can have fun with it as well, like sort of Lost Boys. Um, but also, in terms of what we're doing, um, Romantic comedies, if you think about it, there hasn't been a, a sort of a name in romantic comedy since John Hughes. And think about how dating has evolved so much. You know, it's texting, people don't call each other up, and it feels like that's right for a reinvention. Corley? Um, I think for me, uh, genre um, uh, is related to a kind of irreverence, like to be able to go very far and be very wild and really explore all our craziness and all our inner fears as well. I think for me that what was very powerful in all the genre film I love is that it was always related to uh, yeah, very essential questions related to human being. Like for sci-fi, for instance, where we go, how far can we go with science? 
uh, our relationship with robots or machines and, and death and the fear also of invasion, of body integrity. I think all those themes are very, very powerful in, in genre films uh, I liked. And for me, what the real pleasure I, I have in, in expressing in this area is um, really being being able to push the limits and to create something new and yeah uh, being in in a sort of a cathartic expression um, in telling the story and not being um, tied by rules or uh, you know expectations that other movie can have and yeah basically I think that's what really strikes me in, in genre cinema. And something, and a little to what Bam was talking about, your short film is very much about dating in the modern era through a sci-fi lens. Um, if, I, I feel like you should tell people about Reality Plus because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I think for me, the, the, the great genre uh, themes are really related to humanity. And I think that's why they are very striking and very powerful, uh, especially when we are younger. Because mm -hmm. I think everybody spoke about being an outsider, like not fitting in a way in society or not being understood. And I think that's what's very striking and powerful in those genre films. Like it, it goes um, somewhere you can be understood or you can explore your fear or your, your fears or your desires. Totally. I really like what she said. That was good. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting. That's such a complicated question for me because I feel like in some ways we're in a post-genre world. Mm -hmm. There's so many things made that cross genres, mutate them or combine them. But I really like her definition of that genre is like a place like that was kind of, yeah, it was an outsider place to be in or a space where things were uh, anti-establishment or something. And that's kind of lessened these days because it's become so broad. Um, but at the same time, like I feel like there's this really essential thing that happens through, if we broaden it to fantasy or something, I'm gonna borrow something from somebody way smarter than me, which is Guillermo del Toro. He says, and, and when I read this, it was like a lightning bolt that just hit me. We don't need fantasy to escape reality. We need fantasy to interpret reality. <laughs> and whenever I think of that, I think that's the real heart of what genre is trying. Mm. And I think in, that comes back to what Daniel was saying is horror doesn't necessarily mean scary because you, you look at the universal monster films, you look at what Guillermo is doing, as if I'm on a first name basis with them, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> uh, those monsters aren't scary. They are us. They are us from our outside They're the perspective. Yeah, they are the protagonists. They deserve the empathy. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, it's a lot more powerful way of approaching genre yeah. than just here's a thing with teeth. <laughs> I think it's funny, like, uh, only as of recently have people gotten very like hung up on how you like classify movies, <laughs> and whenever like a movie comes out, it's like, well, it's not really a horror. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and like I think that uh, Shudder is the perfect example of like you go on this website that's like every niche of horror movie, and you could pick two sides of the spectrum that have two movies that have not a single thing tonally, atmospherically, narratively in common with each other but still fit in this same world of like, you know what, we can tell 
any story, and genre just like is a window dressing that's kind of a different costume for that story. In horror, you get to kind of be a little edgier with it than you do in other genres. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you got a ghost, if you got blood, if there's a tonal thing, it's mm -hmm. like, it's not so definable. I think that horror now, and what's fun for me as a filmmaker is like, it doesn't have to be a monster movie or a slasher or one of our like four 90s archetypes yeah. of horror movies to be a horror movie. And it just has to have this like feeling. And that to me is way cooler than being able to say like, oh, well, it's like a supernatural ghost movie that turns into this. It's like, nah, just like it, it has this feeling that we all know if you're a horror fan, if you like this kind of stuff, genre, like any of the genres, you know what that feeling is, and that to me is more what the genre is than any like definable characteristic. How do you, you mentioned that we're sort of post, everything's very broad now. Uh, you look at something like The Walking Dead and, and some of the gnarliest stuff you've ever seen happens on TV on Sunday night, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of touchstones for us, it was before that benchmark. So, you know, if you were into that stuff, you were the rad kid, you were the gnarly kid. You were like, What's, what is he into exactly? <laughs> and how, so how do we push boundaries now? Is it not just through violence, it's through ideas, it's through tonality, it's through experimentation? What, how do we do it? Within genre? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for, I can only speak to what I, uh, my agenda is, but I think it's infusing genre with unexpected degrees of humanity. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I often use the phrase genre is a Trojan horse, that um, you can trick people into confronting things that if you package your story as a drama, they would not buy a ticket mm -hmm. out of not wanting to deal. You know, I mean, I think of so many, th you know, Rosemary's Baby may be the most uh, incisive um, deconstruction of a toxic romantic relationship that exists. Um, but, you know, it's uh, no one would ever call it a rom you know, movie about a romantic so, relationship. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a devil film. And its scariest uh, moment is in many ways its most absurd moment. It's when everyone is sort of creeping past the doorframe Scooby-Doo totally. style, but you just look at it and you totally. fuck. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, and Cassavetes is, you know, he's just the, he is the real Satan in the film. <laughs> it's not Satan. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's being, and I think of, you know, I'm flooded with, you know, feelings of movies like Don't Look Now and um, The Innocence and more recently The Orphanage and, you know, these movies where you're just like, you're sh you go in thinking I'm here to be scared and you come out deeply emotionally affected and examining your life and relationships and, uh, you know, th that's what interests me about pushing boundaries in genre. Fan, I was wondering if you could might be able to speak to this topic specifically within Summer of 84, because it's a movie about kids, and you're putting kids in a horror scenario, and what you wanted to do there, push boundaries there, how you can, or how the filmmakers did. Um, I'm not sure it pushes that many boundaries, to tell you the truth. It is um, a really a grounded story, unlike a bunch of the other stuff we were doing, which is much more escapist. It is four boys in 1984. So the first half plays a little bit like Spielberg-esque, um, and it's all nice, and they just talk about sex and riding their bicycles, and, um, and, and stuff goes horribly wrong. But if you think about it, it's this uh, idyllic suburban neighborhood in 1984, and a serial killer is in the news. 
and it turns out that maybe one lives right next door to them. Um, and I think that it's the, the tonally, you know, unlike Stranger Things, that was so, uh, you know, uh, based in fantasy, um, it's it's really real scares with a real guy who might be a little bit crazy. So uh, I'm not sure it breaks the mold, other than it's it's a good story. Corley, how do we push boundaries? Um, I've seen people faint at your movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's true. Uh, uh, what what um, genre also is about? When we were younger, it was something that, that was forbidden mm -hmm. in a way, like we were not authorized to mm -hmm. see. And I remember that when I was younger, it was my grandfather who watched, uh, who showed me kind of violent films I wasn't allowed to see at home. Me too. And <laughs> Your grandfather. <showed> yeah. <laughs> Can we actually get like a grandma count? Because like my grandmother showed me Psycho, your grandfather this. Like if you have grandparents that were rad. Yeah, and it's kind of a coming of age. It's kind of a, I was feeling so special to have access to those movies and it's kind of feeling adult and exploring things you're, you're not allowed. And I remember when I first saw The Fly, like it's, for me it was a big deal I've seen the fly like <laughs> which one which? the Cronenberg the, the Cronenberg yeah. yeah 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 and same for Wild at Heart at the time it released it was like okay it's violence and sex we were really not used to see that on screen yeah. it was kind of very fascinating and it's true that now we have access to much more stuff and internet and, and we can see everything everywhere so there is not anymore this notion of uh, that much um, something forbidden and special but um, that said I think in those movies there is always a kind of a um, <coughs> A, a vision you 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 sorry you you bring to the to the movie to to make it something special in the way you're gonna push the boundaries inside the movie. I'm thinking a lot about the um, uh, South Korean films, mm -hmm. like they're so wild and the characters are so crazy and sometimes it's so funny because they really go far and. So in a way, it's like for um, it's like for any movies, not genre. It's like how to be to make something unique uh, with the film because you're the director and it's going to be your vision. So I think that's the way we we can add something special in, in it. Yeah, I think in many ways we want to go beyond surface value chills because you bring up South Korean cinema and The Wailing is not it's not just an exorcism movie. It's not a movie that you go oh maybe I question my faith, it, like it plunges your soul. You end up going here with it. And I think that's a feeling we all might want. Yeah. yeah. And it's very, and it's very different it. of what you're used to see. So he's pushing the boundaries in, a, in another way. Totally. Yeah. They, they made some really great points that it post internet. Make more. <laughs> like the boundaries of, of you know extreme footage are so beyond the pale now. Yeah, emotional boundaries or psychological space that just hasn't been explored in movies is kind of the more interesting thing. Like the thing I get caught up in thinking about this is like there's a lot of stuff we make that is purportedly rebellious in the genre realm 
But if you really, really look at it, it's just reinforcing the same old power yeah. structures. And you, we've talked about this on Twitter for years. Like, yeah. these, these genre films are never apolitical. Like, mm. no matter what, there's something that feeds into them that, that are born of the times they're in. And I think the boundaries being pushed that are much more interesting, like, you know, I'm a crazy fan of the movie Prevenge, mm -hmm. which is a horror movie made by a pregnant woman, directed by a pregnant woman acting in the movie while she's like six months pregnant. And I've never seen that in a film or even seen psychologically what she examines in that movie. Um, and so I'm on the lookout for genre films from voices and perspectives and POVs that are saying something that just society has always been repressing. Yeah. And that to me is kind of the boundary that should be pushed. Totally, because you watch Prevenge and you go, at least for me, I sort of, I think I get the psychological toll of being pregnant, obviously not the physical toll, I don't understand the feeling, but you watch that and she runs through all these scenarios of how people speak to her. And it's, and you're sitting there going like, shit, whether she's killing people or not, is this how people speak to yeah. pregnant women? Is this how people interpret their experience? And that's how you come out of the other side of that movie. It's yeah, I didn't, see, I didn't see a gory movie. I saw a movie that made me think about pregnancy as a man in a completely different way and what it must be like for somebody. Is that good? What was that? Well, is that good to think about? Yeah, 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 it was. <laughs> For me, I think we're talking so much about the internet. You know, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a millennial, but I think I'm like of that age. And, um, and I think that for me, I grew up, I was a kid who was like, yo, I saw this crazy video online, let me show it to you. Mm -hmm. People would be like, why did you show that to me? <laughs> um, and, and there was, and this is gonna sound really twisted, but uh, hopefully at least you guys will get this. The, uh, there's a weird relief that you get from having a sense of humor about the darkest shit in life and uh, find, looking for people to, who also have that with you yeah. uh, in collaborators in film, but also as a kid who like, these weird internet videos, and and I think um, I was very happy. Shutter has faces of death, which is incredible. <laughs> um, and and you know that feeling. I keep on talking about this like abstract, like underlying uh, thing that gets at you, but it's it was like sitting there watching. Uh, really, really disturbing videos of real things on the internet and not realizing that I wasn't supposed to watch it. And then getting that feeling and, and feeling what that felt like before I was even old enough to understand what it meant, that is like a very uh, tangible thing that I think every kid has now. You know, I think that every kid nowadays that are 12 and up are looking at way darker, more fucked up shit than we ever looked at and that's the audience that we're playing to now so yeah. like you can't steal from an 80s slasher and think that a kid doesn't know exactly what your reference is mm -hmm. and like what uh, some of the awesome stuff that you guys always do is like you know exactly what the reference is and that's the beauty of it in those moments um, and and I think that it's uh, you, you. We're playing to a smarter audience now that that has seen darker stuff. That's smarter about the genre and thinks that they're geniuses. You know, audiences. I think they think that they're like so spot on. And um, and as filmmakers, we have to combat that actively. And I think that's just kind of as subversive as showing gore. You know, it's like not cool to show gore anymore. But how you handle that can be cool. Yeah. And and I think that now it's kind of playing with it's so much about playing with expectations because especially in a world now 
where it's like horror movies like it are making hundreds of millions of dollars and and regular non-horror fans are going to see these and and bigger companies think that that's awesome it's like no you kind of have to like know that someone is gonna think oh I've seen this movie a million times and like how do you stand out or like you were saying with the orphanage how do you make a movie that you think you know what you're getting into and then you sit through it and you're like oh wow I and I think you know there's the movies that aren't don't look like horror movies that end up being horror movies and then the horror movies that look like horror movies that aren't actually horror movies. And, and I think you just really, really have to mess with people's minds in terms of like subject matter, but also kind of like construction. You know, we, it's, it's format just as much as it is subject matter and not, you can, you can kill someone on screen a million different ways, but at the end of the day, there's kind of like only a couple ways to do it. And it's like finding those new ways to do things, which seems like uh, it should be totally obvious, but horror particularly kind of gets into ruts and sees something that works yeah. and is like, let's keep on doing that. So this is kind of for anyone, but you mentioned it. And it made me think there's a spectrum, right? Like there are films of every level are being seen thanks to streaming services, theaters, every budget level from a huge thing like it to a very small movie like Battery, which is like $5,000 zombie movie. Um, and you are all talking about where you pull from, you know, different source materials, different subjective experiences, cultural experiences, personal experiences. Are we past trends in genre? Are we all just now living in a really beautiful genre community where we can see different things from all different perspectives, or is it kids on bikes? <laughs> what was that question? Or is it kids on bikes? <laughs> Are we past trends? No, I think it's still, because as much as like, uh, we're all sitting here and I bet you that we all have like an awesome esoteric, like love of esoteric horror movies, the average person doesn't. And I think that unfortunately, um, a lot of our movies won't get seen the way it got seen and they're probably, you know, there's a lot of movies that are better and more effective that even at doing the same things that it did that isn't gonna get seen the way that movie got seen and I do think there is still kind of a gap for audiences um, that either want that big, huge movie that seems kind of easy mm -hmm. or want something more subversive and are sure. looking for something. Well, not that it's easy, I mean, even, even Movies about adolescents are pulling from very personal experiences, sure. but we're seeing that atmosphere, I think, resurge. And I'm curious if, if that's the next trend or if we are actually beyond trends. You know, I love what, the, uh, did anyone see the documentary on Robert Altman? I think it was just called Altman. Mm -hmm. He said something, he was asked that question in an interview, which is excerpted in that documentary, which they said, you know, you've been in the game so long and you've been in vogue and out of vogue and, and you know, wh wh how do you feel? What's your take on that? And I thought his answer was so profound. He said, I've been going in a straight line. It's culture that's been zigzagging. And sometimes what I'm doing happens to be resonant to the culture, and sometimes it isn't. I personally don't believe in trends. I, I just don't believe that you should, as a content creator, should pay attention to them. Um, certainly, uh, I think I can, the, the people that control the purse strings are, have a responsibility mm -hmm. to, I'm guessing you greenlit the summer of 1984, largely because 80s horror movies are doing well right now, which is a responsibility. 
responsible oh, we'd bring decision. In before yeah. that. Okay, well, well, you got lucky. I'm not that um, small. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I know that project is great, by the way. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of opening up the question to culture in general. Yeah. And, you know, not what are trends in genre or even trends in film, but what's happening in the world right now. Your film has a lot to do with what's happening in, in the world right now um, that has nothing to do with genre. And, and, um, and, you know, that's, I think that's meaningful. That's very meaningful to me. I am, you know, I can tell you, you know, we're, we're a company of three male partners and one, and one female partner, but what we all share is that we're absolutely, we are very, we are very tired of watching violence against women in movies that celebrates violence against women, which is a huge, unfortunate trope of genre. There's, I think a lot, you know, there have been many, many films that are like frustrated young men who find women alienated or rejected by women, and they take out their anger in their movies. And it's unacceptable. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Just, just as it's you know, now unacceptable to do that in life, uh, or, or one hopes. So the, you know, those, those are the trends that, that I think are, we should be talking about more than trends in genre, if that makes sense. Um, you know, what we do should reflect what's happening in life, not what's happening in films. Well, it's interesting, Corley, with your film, I feel like a lot of people say now, like, oh, revenge is so timely. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's always been timely for women. Like, <laughs> of women have always been having this conversation. Like, sorry, you've been catching up. <laughs> Yeah, the thing is, the, um, it's so true, because when I was writing Reve Revenge, the Weinstein story was not out, but everything was already there. Like, women had talked, and they were just not listened. And uh, the power relationship was in a, a certain point that they were not listened. And obviously, it's... Uh, for me, it's a real change, a revolution in, in society, but it's, I think genre films like always have kind of a political uh, stuff in it, and that's why they're so powerful in a way. And also it's powerful because it's um, um, dealing with those uh, very political themes, not uh, in a very, in, not in a, how do you say, a, intellectual way. It's very rough and direct way to entertain with kind of uh, more serious matters. And zombies movie were very political at, at the time. And, and so I think it's always, for, for me, in the movies I loved, reflects something deeper than mere entertainment. But I think what's great with Jean Film is that it's really the mix between both entertainment and a deeper subject underneath. Right. Uh, I want to take a few minutes to see if anyone has any questions. Any questions, raise your hand. Lay it on us. <laughs> No. Okay. Oh, there we go. Sorry. I'm actually right now. Um, I was talking to a few other people about this too. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm producing my first horror film, and I was wondering if you guys had any tips on um, uh, getting funds and like um, as far as. Oh. Uh, if you guys have any tips on um, getting funding for horror films or like attaching people um, and then also kind of how um, distribution for that goes, like whether that be through film festivals, like any tips you have, um, just like broad spectrum. He'll do it. That's Will you do question. it? <laughs> <laughs> beg. You have to beg. Uh, no. Uh, uh, I don't think horror needs attachments. You know, okay. we have... Uh, 
This associated company, FilmBuff, they have about 1,500 titles. Um, they distribute around the world. Uh, Senna, Exit Through the Gift Shop. And horror is the one genre that transcends uh, boundaries. Okay. So, and it doesn't really rely on um, a big name. Television series are different. You probably need a big EP. Right. But um, really, it's a pitch, a script. Um, this uh, uh, Eat Brains Love, you know, in <laughs> summer of 84, they were first or second time directors of the guy who did. Um, Eat Brains Love directed a couple of screen TV episodes, um, and it was written by a first-time uh, writer. Summer of '84 was written by a guy who did um, Straight Out of Compton, which is why it's really grounded. Yeah. Um, so he had some history, um, and uh, the directors did Turbo Kid. But I, I think that um, horror—you don't need to package it up that much, and hopefully, it doesn't need a lot of money too. That helps. So it's just trying to pitch a script. Yeah. Script helps. You don't need big name actors. No. Okay. Yeah. My, my advice as uh, someone on the production side is um, just get the budget down as low as you can and just make it. I know that sounds reductive, but I, you know that's how we started. <laughs> you know, uh, and and um, something I like to say a lot is I think that when you're kind of have a feeling that you're banging on the door to be let in, I think there's a common impulse to tr to reach up to look for someone who will anoint you or press a button and make your dreams come true. And it does happen, but the real power is in reaching sideways and grabbing your friends and the people that you've known for years that you dream with and just make something. And if you guys are good, it'll work, it'll succeed. And then your second one is the one where suddenly you have more resources. But but there's if you all you need to make a great movie is great minds, camera, lights, and sound. If you can't do it with that, don't don't bother. I mean, I, I what agree. he just described is like what my trajectory was. I literally, my first movie was at Sundance two years ago. It was called Eyes of My Mother. We made it for no money. It Tell was me no money means how much like <laughs> under $150,000, which is like, you know, no money to make a movie. Yeah. Um, and it, um, it was all my friends were the actors, some of which had literally never been in a single thing ever before. The main actress didn't speak English. Um, the crew was all of my friends. My roommate wrote the music. We just did it in two weeks. It was a crazy experience, and I had support of other filmmaker friends of mine who helped me creatively, but uh, it was really just like, we're gonna do this, and if all I have is a 5D and my buddy who knows how to hit record, like, that's what we'll do. I premiered at Sundance, and then and Magnolia bought the movie, and I was, I didn't really have any awareness or conception of like how all this worked. Sure. And it, and it, you know, I think that there's a lot of, I was inspired by people like Anna Lily Amrapour and other people who had made these kind of way out there movies. Um, but the key was, there's not really anyone famous, although she had Sheila Vand, but that was different. Um, she wasn't really that famous at the time though. Um, and, you know, you don't, you just need to kind of have whatever magic you have between the the people that you like to talk about movies with, right. and and I think that um, you just kind of got to do it. I went, I'd gone to film school, and I had my kind of film school connections, but it really for me was just 
I spent a lot of time being like, I wish there was, if, if I could just have a year where I had enough money to not work and write a script and make it, it would be great. And then you realize that that's never gonna happen and you just kinda have to figure out how to do it. And, um, and I was fortunate that it worked, but it, but it works, there's a lot nowadays you can so get, 20 years ago it wasn't really the case, but you can make a movie that doesn't even look hyper, hyper professional. You know, it can look lo-fi and still cut through if the idea is good. Right. And I think the beauty of genre is, especially the audiences will watch everything from a movie that was shot on film to a movie that was shot on video and looks like crap. But if the idea is great, that's kind of all that matters. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's great. there really is like a spectrum because there's a reason you and I and, and a lot ton of horror fans are into things like Things and Sledgehammer, these like weird Canadian made on for $10 shot on video yeah. movies. It's because whatever's in them, there is ingenuity, there is artistry, and there's total insanity and disregard for the rules. So I, I think it takes insanity. And by the way, just as a frame of reference, we, we just shot three five-minute horror shorts, two-sentence terrorists, five pages, $5,000 each. So don't be tethered to 90 minutes either. Yeah, and also I think what matters is really the energy you have and the face you have in your project. And for me, I mean, that's what really made the, the difference. Like, I had to do this movie and I had no plan B, you know, so no matter what, I, I was going to do it. And also I think what is good with genre films when you know you have to keep it small, because even if, especially if it's a first feature, you know you won't have a big budget. So you have to think your project from the start, from the writing to, okay, how can I make something original, unique, which will be my voice in a small uh, production size? And this is the right way, I think, to be able to, um, to make it no matter what. And also, I, I really think that boundaries and limitations really create, um, brings creativity as well. Because right. when you have not all the money you, you want, you have to focus on the essence of your project. Right. What's really important in it? What is it you have to keep no matter what and what you can get rid of if you don't have much money? So, and also you, with a small project, you have like total freedom and, and no expectations. And I think that's also the, the great thing with your first project. Nobody's expecting and nobody, you know, so you can be totally free and really create something unique. All right, we are going to close this one out. I hope you're all seeing movies. To end up, I'm going to ask each of you, you're all here repping Midnight Movies, uh, describe your movie in one word. And if your movie has a one word title, you can't use that. <laughs> what is the. <laughs> describe your movie one word. Good luck, Daniel. Oh my God. Okay, our <laughs> film is Mandy. It premieres tonight at midnight. Uh, one word um, Goddess. <laughs> mm. Uh, it's got to be one, is fun and scary as shit, one word? That's a lot of words. That's it. <laughs> um, it's a revenge uh, premier, uh, screening tonight uh, in the midnight section. And uh, it would be a mix between Kill Bill and Deliverance. That's Two a words. Word. <laughs> I'm here with Mandy like Daniel, so I'm scrambling to come up with something better than Goddess. I, I'll go with Romance. 
I directed Piercing. It uh, premieres tomorrow night at midnight, and it's S and M E. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Noah, Van Tepler, Corley Farjay, Aaron Stewart on, and Nick Pash. Thank you guys so much for your time and for being here today. Subscribe for more panels from the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival.